Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. I'm Janet Morana, the executive director of Priests for Life. I also co-founded the Silent No More Awareness Campaign, which is the largest mobilization of women, men, and family members hurt by abortion come through healing, expressing their regret. Well, as we've been telling you, April is Abortion Recovery Awareness Month, that we have to raise the volume up. There are so many people out there hurting. They don't know help is available. Well, joining me for today's topic about Abortion Awareness uh, Recovery Awareness Month is our national director here to my right, Father Frank Pavone. Father, Hello. welcome. Greetings. And also joining me from the headquarters of Rachel's Vineyard uh, up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, are Dr. Teresa Burke, one of the founders, and her husband, Kevin Burke, founders of Rachel's Vineyard. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be here. It's really fun to see Kevin in another office across the street. <laughs> All right. So uh, <laughs> this is the second of these special broadcasts that we have been uh, doing in this month. We had Georgette Forney with us, co-founder of Silent No More. And uh, we also have been taping a lot of special short spots that we've been using every day on, you know, different branches of social media. And I think that we're, you know, getting the word out there. A lot of different groups are helping to spread the word that it's Abortion Recovery Awareness Month, aren't they? They are. They are. And of course, we are so privileged to have the Burks with us uh, because Rachel's Vineyard, I would say, is one of the premier uh recovery programs all over the world. That's right. It's the and largest. That's yeah, for sure. That's yeah. it. So I want to ask first Teresa, because um, it was she who first developed the idea of Rachel's Vineyard. But take us back, Teresa, to um, I think you were doing a supervision kind of classes for your doctorate, wasn't it? Like, tell us how it all came about that you had this awareness like, uh oh, <laughs> abortion is a key factor here. So give us a little history. Well, I can give you a history before the history that everyone hears about, which is um, the fact that my very dear friend, we were in each other's weddings, Rosanita Coffey, who's the sister of Bishop Joe Coffey. She invited me to come to a rescue. It was my very first rescue ever. And um, I went to Northeast Women's Center and I was with my son, um, who was just a little baby. And he... Um, he, we actually got arrested. <laughs> and when I came home, it was a kind of a scary experience because my son was with me and there was some threats to send him to the roundhouse. They just took us in. Um, nothing ever came of it, but it was kind of a frightening experience. And when I came home, Kevin said I had to find some other way to express my 
pro-life viewpoints because he didn't like that idea that I would be with our child in, in that kind of a situation. So um, that was sort of like, uh, that was sort of like a blessing from Kevin to go on and find something else. But before that, I was in grad school and the subject of abortion came up and, um, and I, uh, a lot of people have heard this story. It was in a supervision of eating disorder groups and many of the women had abortions and it was like a bomb going off. And after that, I started, because there was so much resistance, the supervisor said I had no business prying into people's abortions and I wasn't prying, the subject came up and then it, it led off uh, kind of an explosion of different responses that I saw as traumatic experience, um, an indicator of trauma that they had suffered. So um, the idea of a support group, at least for women that were struggling, came up and then it grew from there. So Teresa, let me uh, uh, ask you something about that, because I always like hearing the story about this, uh, this group that you had that night. You didn't bring up the topic of abortion, right? Absolutely not. Um, at the time, they said that eating disorders were treated by the talking cure. And so you were encouraged to get everyone to talk about just about every subject. So no topic was taboo at that time. Um, and then when the subject came up about a girl who was having nightmares and flashbacks, her ex-husband would leave messages on the uh, machine calling her a murderer. And that would trigger her so deeply, not only because it was a reminder of the most painful experience of her life, but because of the judgment that he was putting on her when it was basically because of him that forced it. So um, it was a troubling situation. And then it just led to everybody else from an angry response of we have a right to control our bodies and abortion is good and someone else who couldn't even stand. And this is, that's what I mean when I say a bomb went off. It's like nobody had any ability to talk about it because of the types of reactions that were going on from defending the rights to someone who's really struggling in active symptoms of trauma and other people that can't stand to even hear the word abortion. And this is a microcosm of our larger world. All these years later, 30 some years later, we still see that traumatic reaction, the fight or the flight, the freeze, the anger, um, or the complete shutdown because I can't cope with what this is making me feel inside. So one person brought up abortion and then others in the group started saying, oh, yes, I had an abortion in my past as well. Right. Yes. Was, was all, like all six, of, six out of eight people. If That's I recall. right. And the other yeah. two had sexual abuse. So there's a trauma underneath that. Like any addiction, it's not what you're eating with an eating disorder. It's what's eating you. And yeah. so that kind of eating away at your insides, at your at your spiritual self and your even your moral self, your motherhood self, like all of those things are chipped away at slow but sure. It's almost like an acid drip. That's how a lot of women yeah, describe yeah. it. It's just a slow gutting of the inside out. I, I want to examine this, Janet and Teresa and Kevin, a little bit more because I think that this, this is a defining moment. The defining moment that got you onto the track of starting Rachel's Vineyard is also a key to understanding the, both the wound and the recovery from abortion. Kevin, you were about to ask something. No, Father, you actually went right. I wanted Teresa to elaborate further on the eating disorder group because I think, although some folks have heard that story, I think it's such an important uh, story, not only in terms of these are women that were experiencing anorexia and bulimia. So these are very serious conditions, life-threatening conditions. And uh, when Teresa uh, was processed, wanted to process that, 
and went to her the psychiatric uh, the psychiatrist who was supervising her as she said it's very very important to note his reaction to her right it's really important and to, because he he was really in a sense shutting down the capacity to to get at this issue and as Teresa says in her book you know when you're when you're running an eating disorder group you want to get at what's eating at you so yeah yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think she she hit on something extremely important. Although I also found it, she kind of <laughs> she mentioned my reaction to her and our our baby son Kevin at the pro life rally. So I was in the protective daddy mode at that point, you know. But um, <laughs> but it also points to the fact that the mystery of that psychiatrist shutting down Teresa, exploring that issue, actually led her. I think. You can respond to this, trees, but I would imagine that propelled you to into this work. So he inadvertently kind of served God's purpose, maybe. Is that fair to say? Well, God works through all things. And certainly being told I couldn't talk about it and I wasn't allowed to was all the more compelling for me to want to do this. Um, it yeah. gave me a passion for it. And I couldn't understand why. And I thought if he feels that angry and upset about it, there's a whole lot more here that not just in the women, but in society, in the culture, even in medicine. Um, and also that level of um, that level of passion that he felt towards stopping me indicated to me that he must have his own issues with that. So we see yeah, that yeah. at the political level, at the personal level, there's a defensiveness and even wanting to have a dialogue and to appreciate the diversity of post-abortion reactions, that just because one person is okay with it doesn't mean that everyone is comfortable with that with their choice. In fact, um, a Los Angeles Times poll showed that 56% 56, 56 of people were uncomfortable with their decision to have an abortion, morally uncomfortable. So yeah. even in a moral and ethical context, people are in conflict about it. And I, I think that it shows, it reveals itself every day in our society, just in this, um, you know, shutting down of dialogue, of research, of um, yes. spinning yes. the bottom line all the time. That, this is, so, a, yeah. Uh, so Teresa, <clears throat> from that group, then you developed the Rachel's Vineyard Retreat model and program, which for those who are not familiar with it, uh, it's both that you have two versions, a Catholic version and what we call in, an interdenominational version. But explain to people who are just totally have no idea what Rachel's Vineyard Retreat Weekend is like and what inspired you. Because I know you picked like the living scriptures. You know, I mean, they're they're so moving and clever. I mean, because I've been I've done, as you know, facilitated many times on Rachel's Vineyard Retreats as a facilitator. They're just brilliant. So tell us that whole process, how you put this and as, wonderful program together. And as we do this, by the way, let me remind our viewers, you can ask questions. So I'm, I, that's why I'm looking occasionally at my phone. I've got the questions that are coming in right here. Ask your questions of all of us, and we'll be glad to uh, clarify what's on your mind. But go ahead, Teresa. Well, when I first started those support groups, it, in truth, I had no idea really what I was doing except trying to make another kind of a support group where women could speak about their experiences with abortion. I saw very quickly though, that uh, just going back to revisit the abortion was so triggering for some women. Um, it was extremely painful. And I, I learned that after they left the support group, a, a group of them were stopping at a bar at, the, at night and um, they're just talking about trauma 
any kind of trauma. We we know now in all the neuroscience and all the trauma field how, how it's moved forward. It actually can make it worse to talk about it, to be questioned about it. So talk therapy was not the thing. And some women would be talk about it for a bit and then just almost like dissociate, unwind, you know, um, <coughs> like really really you could tell that this is such a deep and painful thing so the whole idea for retreats i went to my faith to find rituals of for grieving that didn't require words where you could put some of that feeling that's all stored in your body because trauma comes to us through the body into um, activities that would allow you to express your grief because that's what was needed. Women went through this experience. They, they had to go back and pretend it never happened. It was usually kept a very carefully guarded secret. And women who keep secret about abortions are more likely to have, you know, unresolved feelings of guilt and grief associated with the loss. And they just can't put that sorrow to words. So um, I, I just started bringing in faith and created meditations where you're encountering Jesus, um, who is the healer. Jesus, who has so much mercy and love. And what did he give us um, that is the gift of forgiveness. And so anybody who is grieving needed to know that the Lord is merciful. And to just be preached that doesn't mean anything. But when you could enter a meditation with the subject of your pain, with that as the central and all the questions around it, where you're encountering Jesus, it allowed you to feel who he was first. Um, as you're going into your story. That's why I said there's no preaching or teaching. It's an experience of the living God. And it's an invitation in each different meditation to reach out and tell him what you need. So for example, one of the first ones we start with is blind Bartimaeus. So you're the blind person in the scripture and you've heard about all the healings. And then the facilitator in the middle of that meditation would come and say, Janet, take courage, he's calling you. And you'd be invited to say, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And then the priest would put his hand on your head and say, what do you want me to do for you? And then you respond. So it, it kind of leaves the, the therapy realm and goes into a spiritual realm because we're talking about a spiritual and a moral injury and a psychological one as well. And my experience, I mean, I'm a very good therapist, but my experience is that uh, God heals greater than any intervention I could ever do. And that's the miracle of Rachel's Vineyard. And that's, in fact, why it spread. It was nothing um, that I intended to spread, but it was so powerful. And people left those um, support groups. They left the weekend uh, completely changed. And and we used to call it um, post-abortion syndrome or post-abortion trauma. And I said, well, it's the woman at the well syndrome. Now they go out and they want to share with everybody what's happened to them. And they're the ones who spread uh, Rachel's Vineyard all over the world. And I think we're in 80 some countries, 37 languages or something. And um, it's been spread by the people whose lives it completely changed because God changed their lives and they wanted to. Right. It's, a, it's a very ex uh, beautiful experience for the priest. And as you know, obviously I've done Rachel's Vineyard retreats and, and played the, the part that you just described that the priest's role is, is, is outlined uh, in the retreat manual, which I have here, which we can talk <laughs> more about. Um, but it is, I want to encourage any of my brother priests that are watching and, and any of you who are talking to your priest about this. It's a very, very uh, fruitful and meaningful experience for the priest to be able to 
exercise that role in the living scripture. The scripture is literally coming alive. It's being reenacted. People are not just, it's, it's different from reading scripture. You're entering into scripture. The, the people around you are recreating the event in the scripture. This is what we mean by the living scriptures. We also mean that the spirit who wrote the scriptures in the first place is living within us as we reenact that. So it's living scripture, both in the sense that you are you are uh, reenacting the event, but that the spirit who wrote the word in the first place is now speaking to you. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? We're not just reading something that was written in the past. He's asking that question right then and there. And the person with the multiple wounds from abortion, some of which they're just discovering as they go through this retreat process, is encountering the living Christ at that moment who is saying to them, yes, I'm going to do this for you right here and now. So history, in the best sense of the phrase, history is going to repeat itself and that healing is going to come about. Yeah, and, you know, Teresa and, and Kevin both, I want you to both comment on this. What Father's saying here right now is, um, and this is what I think some of our people who are watching right now might be thinking. We all know uh, many women will go to confession and they'll accept God's forgiveness for destroying the life of their child, um, but they'll come back and confess that sin again and again. And why they haven't forgiven themselves. And I, I've even come across this in Christian denominations where they say, well, you know, Jesus uh, forgave me. Now I'm back uh, going to church and Je I'm forgiven, but they haven't been set free from their own guilt. Right. Teresa, well, I mean, and, and they, they need to, they need to do the grief work. Isn't that, wouldn't you say? Yes, because um, that's the critical thing. And while the sacramental healing is available to us, I, I've seen it very true that until the grief is emptied, there isn't room for the grace. And so this pattern of multiple abortions, I came to understand as a way almost to to remember the baby through the through the confession again and again and again. But in Rachel's Vineyard, we help them develop a spiritual relationship with the with the lost child, the same that you would have with any child that had died, where you can see that child as an intercessor before the throne of God who loves you, who has forgiven you, and who's part of that communion of saints, as it were, um, that that we can pray, you know, ask for their intercession. So that's that's really a key thing. And um, many women have said that because we have one exercise, which is the woman caught in adultery where she's about to be stoned. And that's where Jesus comes on the scene and says, is there anyone here to condemn you? And she says, no one, and neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So that idea of forgiveness. And then we invite them to carry rocks around for the whole weekend. And that symbolizes that burden that they're carrying that they can't forgive. Many people, when they pick up their rock to take it, they say, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. And that's yeah, the right. other thing. So you have to process all those emotions and look at the story. And even as it were, <coughs> learn from the story, like, because otherwise you just keep repeating the mistakes in these patterns of multiple abortions. 50% of women who have abortions will go on to have a second and, and many more than that. So and until that has been resolved and processed and integrated, there's always the risk of the repetition. Now, so, hold on one second. I just want to remind our viewers, we're talking with Dr. Teresa and Kevin Burke, uh, founders of Rachel's Vineyard, one of the ministries of Priests for Life, Janet Morana here and myself. 
this is a, April is Abortion Recovery Awareness Month, and so we're bringing you these special broadcasts. You can ask your questions, leave your comments. I have a comment here from someone who shares some of the, like Teresa, you were saying, the rock carried around, the burden carried around, and I want to read her uh, uh, read her comment for it. But you were about to say something, you know, Janet. Yeah, well, what I want to ask is, obviously, initially, Teresa designed this program for the women who've had abortions. Um, but when would you say, Teresa, uh, and Kevin could respond, I guess, some of this too, that you allowed or invited men to begin coming on the retreats with women? Because as you know, there's some people out there in the abortion recovery movement who feel they should be kept separate. But in Rachel's Vineyard, you've had great success by having men and women healing together, not necessarily the same partners, sometimes yes, sometimes no, but could you explain a little bit of this dynamic of men getting involved in the process? I know Kevin will have a lot to share about that, but I can tell you initially it was just women. And what I was learning very quickly, very early on, is that post-abortion healing without the spouse was actually hurting marriages. And what do I mean by that? Meaning that they go through a very powerful, um, powerful experience of not only grieving and honoring their child and respecting themselves and being forgiven. And a lot of people that had never been able to set boundaries, maybe, or some of the trauma had made them feel so worthless that they accepted a lot of mistreatment. And so when she started to push back a little bit and, and um, say she was worthy of respect, there was a power dynamic that changed in the marriage. Um, and this could go both ways. You know, when someone feels guilty about something, you know, you're, you're inclined to be in relationships where you accept a lot of punishment. You know, there can be punishment that you don't speak up against and you don't, you don't help each other grow in the way that you should when there's like some guilt, like back in the history. So um, that was one dynamic. When we bought men, we saw that they were initially, um, a lot of women had deep hatred against men because of what had happened and how they had been betrayed in their relationships. And when the men were coming on the retreat, so many women, hundreds of times I've heard them say it restored their faith in men, men in the humanity of men, because they saw men felt something and were grieving and were entering that process and had their own injury related to it, whereas they may never have seen their partner do anything but demand they get an abortion or coerce them in some way or withhold his love and support. And so there was this, this angst between the sexes that we saw being healed right in front of our eyes on Rachel's Vineyard, and everyone said that it helped them restore their faith in men. So I thought that was another important thing that we don't just heal that really the loss of the child, but there's huge damage and trauma in relationships that can play itself out through the entire lives of people. You know, abortion recovery awareness includes the awareness that the wound is relational. This is one of the things that counteracts the lie of the other side, which try, the other side always tries to isolate this with the woman. First of all, they deny the baby as if the baby doesn't even exist. And then they say, well, abortion just involves the woman. It's her choice. It only affects her. Nonsense. It affects all kinds of people, starting with the father of that baby. And it's like, you know, sometimes we in the, on, on the pro-life side can inadvertently mirror that lie. Oh, this is just about the woman. No, it's not. It's not. You didn't wound by yourself and you're not going to heal by yourself. Right. And I think this is one of the beautiful insights that shapes 
the power of Rachel's Vineyard. Well, and also, too, on the retreat, I mean, like you just said, Teresa, sometimes it's a married couple who had that abortion together. But very often, it's a man who is no longer with the woman that he took for that abortion. Um, and, and I'll let Kevin come in a little bit more now. Um, and so therefore what I've discovered when I was on a Rachel's Vineyard, when we had just one man and a bunch of women, the dynamic I, I saw happening was these women were like amazed at his grief and he apologized to them, even though he didn't have the abortion with any of them. And he had no contact with the woman that he took for that abortion, right. he said to them, I want to tell you, even though you may not be with any longer the man that, you know, <clears throat> took you for that abortion, I'm sorry. I apologize. There was such a, you know, it was amazing what went on that weekend, this whole dynamic of having exposure to a guy who took the place of this man who they probably couldn't stand the sight of anymore because, you know, he took me for that abortion. He didn't stand by me. And then I never saw him again. Well, this man was like practically on his knees in tears and telling them, I, I, I'm sorry. I am sorry. So can, can Kevin, you come in a little bit more too, like the dynamic going on with the guys. Sure. <laughs> this kind of touches on also on the history of Rachel's Vineyard and Teresa, this is how I remember it. So please chime in too. <laughs> but um, uh, initially you, uh, Teresa was offering the support group model. I think, what was it? A 10 or 12 week, uh, uh, you know, weekly group. 15 weeks. And I was working at that time at a uh, maternity shelter for women facing an unplanned pregnancy. Uh, it was called mother's home. And, uh, we had a very large former convent, so there was a lot of room. <laughs> and Teresa had the idea that um, we could use part of the building uh, to have the program that she developed in a weekend format. So I think the first was the first weekend retreat at Mother's Home, Teresa. Yes, it was. Okay, so which is it, it, which is an amazing thing if you think about it, because when we first got involved in this, there was such a sense that uh, well, you have to. You have to be so protective of those who have abortions. You have to keep them away from pro-lifers. Even within the church, there was this kind of prejudicial attitude. And it's it's good to, to say in our history that it was the pro-life community of Delaware County and later in our partnership with Priests for Life who have really empowered this work. And I think that's an important point. But this issue of, uh, the, of the retreat becoming uh, to mother's home, also led me to be able to participate in my first Rachel's Vineyard retreat. And I have to say, even though I had my master's degree in counseling and done a good amount of family and marriage counseling, I was clueless about abortion. And uh, on that first retreat, providentially, there were at least two men. One of the men who was in attendance was in law enforcement. He came from a family where his father was extremely abusive. Um, and he forced uh, pressured his partner to have an abortion later saw how much that hurt her and he was really uh, distraught and he came on the retreat so I, I was sitting there as a social worker and i was not only reacting to this man's the intensity of his pain but also seeing the dynamic of his issues with his father the abuse he experienced with his dad and then him in a sense as the victim now becoming the perpetrator and, uh, and and uh, leaving his vulnerable child to be killed by the abortionist and pressuring his, his partner to have the abortion. 
that was a very complicated and painful emotional experience for him. And I saw him go through the retreat and he moved from his initial emotion, which for a lot of men, it will be anger. How do they deal with that intensity and, and that vulnerability? It comes across oftentimes in anger, which can also be directed at others. And then as he went through Teresa's really beautiful process and the Lord and Holy Spirit working and through the exercises, which work beautifully for men as well, his heart began to soften. And then I saw him grieve. And I have to say also initially, this guy was a little scary to me, probably because I, you know, had my own issues <laughs> that I had to deal with in my life. And uh, that intense emotion was really kind of like a little scary to me at first from this guy. And during one of the exercises, when he started really breaking down, we were lighting candles for the children that had been aborted. He was grieving. He reached over and he touched my, my arm, you know, looking for support from another man, which I, of course, you know, responded uh, in, in a supportive way. The other uh, man on the retreat, it was a, he was a husband of a couple. And they aborted their child because of some sort of chromosomal abnormality. It may have been Down syndrome. I, I don't recall. But they actually, with all the difficult cases on this retreat, uh, they were had the most difficult time going through that process because they kept justifying their decision. Well, we did this for compassionate reasons. Mm -hmm. And eventually their denial broke down enough that they were able to do some grief work. But uh, I find those situations are very complicated where they abort for, uh, you know, for medical reasons and whatnot. So yeah. seeing those two men, that was my introduction, which later I, I much got more interested in how to reach out to men. So I want to, uh, this is great. I, I, I want to take some of the comments that we've been getting comments and questions, but Kevin, one of the comments we got, it relates to what you just said. There are layers, aren't there, of repentance. There are layers of breaking through denial that have to be uh, journeyed through. Uh, it's really a lifelong journey. I mean, the Rachel's Vineyard is a weekend retreat, but we, we, we know as well as anyone, this is a lifelong journey of healing and repentance. And someone, one of the commenters was saying, and we invite you all, friends, send in your comments and questions as we're talking here, that, you know, well, they, you know, they have to repent. You know, some of them might not be fully repenting. And repenting uh, has many levels. And one of them is what you were just saying. Instead of making excuses or trying to um, moderate the, 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 the evil that was done, the healing comes from facing the evil. Uh, you know, John Paul II said this in Evangelium Vitae. Face honestly what happened. Rachel's Vineyard in, in involves doing that. Face honestly what happened in the sense that, you know what? This is my fault. I have fault here. I take full responsibility. I'm going to repent of that. Um, there's another, another um, person, Debbie, who's been watching us here this morning. Let me read this, and, and perhaps, Teresa, you can respond to Debbie directly. She says, I know our Lord is merciful and loving with his forgiveness for the regretful choice I made years ago, but I'm hurting and having a hard time that my mom was the one I went to. She told me to abort, that she cannot and will not help me if I had the baby. This is where I'm hurting, and mom won't even talk about it. So this, again, the abortion awareness, like I said a moment ago, the awareness of both the wound and the healing is that they are relational. So the men, there's a big role for the men. And now the grandparents of the baby. We see this dynamic. Do you want to address what Debbie said? 
Yes, um, Debbie mentioned something that's so common where a parent um, tells her the best thing, drives her, pays for it, doesn't tell anyone about it, but um, that wound is the thing that's longing for reconciliation. She says, my mom won't even talk about it. Talk about a complete abandonment, not just abandonment for her as a daughter in her need, but also abandonment of the baby, you know, and it's really extremely painful. Whenever these situations happen, if the mom won't talk about it, I think it's really helpful, Debbie, that you or anyone that's listening in this situation um, look at how it's hurt your relationship and maybe through that, just saying that I need healing of this. I haven't been able to get healing of this and I'm going to invite you to join me on a Rachel's Vineyard because you lost your grandchild. I lost my baby and I can't get over it. Um, moms will, if they, I, moms that I've worked with, cause I'll, I'll engage them in that way. They'll come in the office. They'll tell me what they thought. But then when they're invited to look at how it's injuring their daughter, how it's pushing her away, how she continues to feel um, and, and long for reconciliation, feel the grief and long for the reconciliation, sometimes that's enough motive. The other thing that I've seen that makes moms really resistant is if they have their own abortion loss. So that, that house of cards is held on the belief that this is the best thing and I can't look at how yours hurt you or I have to look at how mine hurt me. This is so common. I can't even tell you how many times we come across this where a mom and never dealt it, said she was fine, then takes the daughter, promises she'll be fine. The daughter falls apart, can't get over it. And um, they end up, if the mom is willing to come, they both end up coming to grieve an abortion. As a matter of fact, we just had um, this situation, a mom who had abortion encouraged her daughter and her daughter had five abortions and finally kept the baby. She's was in her ninth month and just came on a retreat. Of course, everyone was worried that she might go into labor on the retreat, but we thought it's easier to have the retreat now. But the way that God used even that pregnant belly on the retreat where the other moms who normally would feel like afraid of a child, you know, some moms are afraid of a pregnant woman. She can be very triggering. You know, they all wanted to come over and touch, touch her belly as their own healing went on. And everyone felt very protective also of that mom. And so in a, in a sculpture, we call them sculptures. It's where the group comes together and makes, um, everyone sort of makes like a tableau almost. This was just an exercise done. How everyone came over and made a tableau of protecting Tracy, can I just add real, uh, real quick? Um, if if she's if her grand if her mother is remains resistant to coming, I just want to and I know you will join me in this. I just want to encourage her to still consider a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. Oh yeah, because that uh, <clears throat> don't let that rejection of your mom keep you from your own personal healing. And there's a two reasons for that. Not only because the Lord's going to bless you from that experience, but in your healing journey from the grace that provides you, that will also give you a spirit to be able to pray and intercede uh, for your mom. And if, if, if the Lord can open her heart, he will open it in his time. So don't be discouraged either way. I, I just wanted to add that. And I want to point out too, that Debbie and anyone else who's watching right now, you can go to abortionforgiveness.com. We have a little search engine there. Put in your zip code. You'll see where the nearest uh, Rachel's Vineyard Retreat Program yes. uh, is to you. 
And then I want to uh, comment one more time for Debbie here. Uh, I, ideally, Debbie, we would like to see you take that Rachel's Vineyard retreat with or without your mom. Ideally with your mom, but like Kevin just said, if she won't take care of it for yourself first. Yeah. But what about um, after the retreat, if her mother is still negative, resistant, I don't want to hear about it. Wouldn't it be a little healing step for Debbie to write like a letter to her mom, you know, about her experience and say, you know, mom, I forgive you, you know, for taking me for that abortion. I forgive you. Um, I, I want us to reconcile together and be able, you know, so, so maybe if her mom is still closing her ears, what would you think, Teresa, of after Debbie goes on that Rachel's Vineyard retreat, she would write a little letter to her mom expressing all these feelings that maybe that would break through the, the silence. Janet, that, that's a fine idea. I think any way that you can reconnect and a lot of times, even for a mom whose daughter had one that you, that, that you didn't know about or didn't want to happen, to be able to heal yourself first and then see what doors can be opened to be able to reconnect to relationships that are the closest ones to you. This is family relationships we're talking about. So I think that if the mom knows that she's not being blamed or judged by the daughter, even it would give her, um, it would give her perhaps more courage to come and grieve with her over the loss because nobody wants to be blamed for bad things that happen, even though we may pay, play a very large role in them. Also, she might, uh, she may be resistant to come to a retreat, but as, as the daughter goes through the retreat, uh, her own healing by uh, I think it's Saturday evening, Teresa, that they are informed about contacting folks to come, uh, family members to come to the memorial service on Sunday. So that could be an opportunity when the daughter will read uh, her letter to her child when some grace might flow. If the mother's willing to come even to the memorial service, that's such a powerful experience. So that might also open up some opportunities for healing. Yeah, and, he and hearing the letters of everyone, because so many times people feel that a family member thinks that they're just bizarre, that they're holding on to this, just forget about it and move on. And when they see a whole room of people kind of really wrestling with their grief and expressing the love they have and the missing and the tears at the memorial service, it is very moving. And it's much less likely to say, oh, there's something wrong with you because you're bothered by this. Everyone's fine. What's wrong with you? Right. And then, <clears throat> Kevin, if you could just comment a little bit more. Well, actually, some of the symptoms, I think, are very much the same for the women and the men, right? I mean, so many of them ab abuse drugs and alcohol to numb the pain. But with the men in particular, Kevin, don't they, um, a lot of them get into very addictive behaviors, don't they, if they haven't resolved the grief from their abortion? Well, depending on the level of, you know, of if it's a traumatic experience, for, for example, if you, um, if you felt ambivalent, about the decision of your partner, you might have felt you needed to be supportive because you kind of bought into the to the propaganda about this is a woman's body and choice, and you have to respect her decision. And the way you're supportive is to just you know support her whatever she does. But you may secretly have some reservations about it or pain about it, all the way on a continuum up to where a guy is very aware that he's already a father at the time of the child's conception. And he's doing everything possible to encourage her to, to give life to that child. So when there's ambivalence all the way up to, uh, you know, not wanting the procedure to take place and trying to stop it, then you have a potential for men to experience traumatic symptoms after the procedure and to be 
doing the same, very similar to how women try to self-medicate, as you mentioned, through drugs and alcohol and things of that nature. Now, what is seems to be unique for some men in their grief and shame after the abortion is that uh, they may engage in things like high-risk behaviors, uh, gambling, uh, driving too quickly, um, getting into fights with in, in, in bars, and uh, being more contentious in their relationships with supervisors at work. Uh, perhaps the same thing in their in their in their intimate relationships. So there there are some u- unique ways that men may be more comfortable expressing uh, the vulnerable emotions, the, you know, which are not comfortable for guys. Guys don't want to feel depressed. They don't want to feel vulnerable. They don't want to be down. So sometimes being angry is an energy that feels more empowering to them. Or it, it, you know, it may not be consciously expressed that way, but that may be more the way that they will express their pain is through anger. So that's, but again, there's a point in the healing journey where it doesn't matter if you're a woman or man, you still need to go process that powerful emotions and those behaviors and tell your story and then recognize that underneath all that, there's grief. There's grief for that relationship that's been broken. And the Rachel's Vineyard process is a very beautiful, powerful way of healing that relationship and, uh, and also our relationship with the Lord. Let me uh, take another question that has come in. Uh, This is from Angela. Uh, She says, I don't know how to explain all the abortions in my family. One of the abortions was at home. I was close to six months. I was 16. And I was lied to and brainwashed. Wow. Um, Any uh, words, uh, Teresa, for Angela? Uh, twofold, um, Angela, I, I pray that you can make it to a Rachel's Vineyard to heal. And it also sounds like an abusive um, experience all around to have an abortion at six months at home. Did I hear that right? Is that what you said, Father? That's what she said. Yeah, that, that sounds um, like a really traumatic experience to occur in your home with loved ones around. Um, so I... I would invite you to Rachel's Vineyard. And if you're interested in a grief to grace retreat there for healing after abusive experiences, and I think you would be well supported in both of them and come to know and feel what um, the presence of God in the middle of all that suffering. We only have about 10 minutes left. Teresa, I wanted to refer our audience to your book, Forbidden Grief, and have you say a few, a few words about it. To me, you know, this again, like where we started in this episode with the psychiatrist supervisor forbidding you to explore the grief and the and the and the and the wounds that these people in your group were suffering from abortion. So our whole society is forbidding this grief and therefore truncating and stymieing the process of people <coughs> adequately processing that grief. And I think abortion recovery awareness month. Uh, which we are celebrating now in April and by which these pro- these programs uh, are meant to facilitate, really has to challenge the forbidden part of this grief. If we can challenge the forbidding of it and let it open up freely, we're going to get quicker to the healing, not only of individuals <coughs> but of and families, but of our whole society. Uh, Teresa, tell us more. 
Oh, it's so important to dismantle the secret. You're so right, because in the secret is all the festering wound. And when you can dismantle the secret and unite people in coalitions of support, we, we move into a healthier place, not only of being able to dialogue, but to get support for those that need it without any stigma. So that's my dream. And for those that want to educate family, like some of the callers, some of the walk, the, the listeners today, if you, Forbidden Grief is a wonderful book to, to give to people, to educate them about how, how insidiously um, painful the secret is. Well, I want to just remind our folks, they can obtain a copy of Forbidden Grief by going to our online store at ProLifeProducts.org. Again, ProLifeProducts.org. And it says here, <clears throat> Teresa, on the back of the book, <clears throat> excuse me, it's time to move beyond the politics of abortion. And, and that's really the problem here, because as we know, the abortion industry says to women, oh, you have the abortion, go back to school and work tomorrow. No big deal. And then the rhetoric that is going on in politics right now, calling it health care, you know, abortion is health care, is so false that it, it even makes our job telling them that there's hope and healing even harder because they're making it sound like, oh, it's no big deal, have an abortion. Oh, it's health care. It's wonderful. Uh, you know, so we have to make people realize that, no, we know it causes, I always say this, Teresa and Kevin, always bad for the baby, always bad for the mother and father too. That's what we have always, to keep driving yes. home. It's always, there is never, and would you agree, both of you, there is never a case that a baby dies from an abortion and everyone else is just 100% okie dokie, fine, move on, no big deal, right? I would agree with that. Yeah, Kevin, right? Yeah, I would say that there can be a sense of relief after the procedure because- I'm thinking of men in particular because sometimes men go into the mode of wanting to problem solve. They're dealing with the crisis. The problem's resolved. There's a sense of relief. Just because there's a sense of relief in the immediate sense does not mean there hasn't been some very deep, deep emotional uh, and psychological and spiritual wounds. And we see that because we see as people process their abortion and tell their stories, they can go for many years in the mode of, I did the best thing. This was a good decision for me. They get on with their lives, but yet there are seeds planted that in time can really bring destructive consequences. So if you're, uh, the important thing is to attend to that and uh, be educated and in various ways that we're providing and uh, find healing. I have the, I just want to remind people, if you're watching and listening, abortionforgiveness.com, just go there you'll see where the help and help is available. And then just one more quick comment, uh, uh, and then we'll get to Father Kevin, about the men, is that, like you're saying, they might have had that abortion with that girl in college, ne never saw her ever again, thought, like you said, immediate relief, okay. But very often, Kevin, isn't it what they go on in life later on, they marry, and this sweetheart of theirs that they married now is pregnant, and people are slapping them on the back, congratulations, you're having a baby. And it hits them that this is not the first baby I've I was part of, right? I mean, isn't that isn't it? If that hasn't been dealt with now that he's going to be a father, what he, what is everyone thinking for the first time? Isn't that when it comes like full blown into his face? Then definitely for some men, and we've heard certainly heard plenty. I'm sure Teresa as well has heard plenty of stories where a man shares that you know in those initial. Uh, appointments where he's looking at the ultrasound and particularly now with the ultrasound as developed as it is 
boy, you cannot deny the fact that at, at really early stages, this is a this is a developing human person, a little boy or girl. And so, yeah, that can begin that process of beginning. But, you know, it can also happen, you know, semi-consciously. They just feel a little discomfort. But, you know, as they progress on, they're they're starting to drink a little more. It, it, they're having a little more anger in their relationship. So it, it sometimes can be a gradual process of recognition. But certainly that can be one trigger. But there's many other things over life that can connect, as Teresa's book points out, connect to that abortion loss in different ways. Teresa and Kevin, I want to ask you about the follow-up. You know, the Rachel's Vineyard retreats are very, very powerful. We've just touched on just a couple of the aspects of them. I have the retreat manuals here. Uh, there's the 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 manual uh, for the uh, the weekend retreat. There's an interdenominational version as well. So the Catholic retreats, obviously, we make use of the sacraments. We have adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. We have confession, uh, mass at the end, the interdenominational version, of course, biblically based and uh, respecting the, um, the needs of those of our brothers and sisters in other Christian denominations. And then in Espanol, we have the Spanish retreats that are taking place all over the world and uh, the entire retreat manual in Spanish. And in fact, and it's in many other languages. Yeah, Teresa, give us a little update. How many languages now has this retreat? I mean, Spanish was the first language for it to be translated into, but how many languages now? I think there's 37. I don't keep track every week, but uh, that's the last. I know there's a Cantonese one and there's Mandarin one. And um, we're always getting- I, I mean, I just know off the top of my head, I know it's in German. I know it's in Polish, right? Um, I, I, th I know it's in French, right? Um, I don't know about Portugal and Portuguese, but we I mean, have it in Portuguese and it's in, um, Portugal and now it's going to Brazil this very week. Uh, we've got a for the Portuguese translation from Portugal to be sent to Brazil. That's awesome. Isn't that amazing? It is. It's and, and what is it? 75, 76 countries, right? Yeah, I think we're almost to 80 right now. Wow. Now, now, okay, so there's the retreat weekend. But in these last couple of minutes, I, I do want you to comment on the fact, because very often if, if, if a bishop in a diocese or if a pastor or if an, a, 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 another professional in a community is thinking about you know, bringing Rachel Vineyard in, they'll often ask, is there one-on-one -on -one follow-up of some kind? How do people follow up after they've made the retreat? People can have counseling before the retreat to prepare for it or after the retreat because there's a counselor on every retreat. All of the groups have meetings. Whether you can go locally depends on whether you travel. And um, some sites have monthly aftercare for every alumni of Rachel's Vineyard that ever went through their site. So these are big, what I would call healing communities with hundreds of people. Um, like New Heart of Texas, they bought their own retreat center because they needed a place for everyone to gather. And they started two more ministries there for, with other retreats I've written. So, um, but you, there's always an aftercare follow-up. And then there's a community of friends that will stay in touch with each other from every retreat. We know that happens. We know they vacation together and you become very close to people. And um, because you share more with them than you do with people that you've known a long time. And I, I just want to um, comment a little bit more, Teresa, because what you just uh, alluded to, which is a very important fact that people have to understand, that on every Rachel, uh, Rachel's Vineyard retreat weekend, there is a certified counselor 
Just All right. Not just people who say, I, oh, I, 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 I want to help. I want to yeah, help yeah. and volunteer. Goodwill is not enough. Goodwill is not enough. Uh, because a lot of um, things, like you said, uh, sexual abuse and all kinds of things can come out on that weekend. You need to have a prof licensed professional there because, like you're saying, they might need follow-up care. You know, they might be told at the end of the retreat, while well, you've taken some great initial steps, we have to work a little bit more on all these other dynamics that led to abortion. Yeah. Right, Teresa? That's right. Yeah. Abortion can sometimes be a symptom of many other hurts and injuries. And just the fact that there's only that one choice, a, a desperate choice for violence that, that, that damages, like that's not okay. That's right. Well, we are at the end of our time, but I want to, before Janet closes us out, and thank you, Teresa and Kevin, I want to say to our, our audience, we need your support for Rachel's Vineyard. This doesn't happen uh, out of thin air. Many people come forward and support us financially. If you go to rachelsvineyard.org, you will see a donate button there. We really want to ask your friends not only to spread the word about this, but to support it financially, rachelsvineyard.org, go to the donate button. And uh, Teresa has received communications from Pope Francis himself. And I personally, in talking with Pope Francis, uh, he said to me, Rachel's Vineyard, that is an excellent work. It is beautiful. Go forward with that. And, and that's our message to all of you, friends. It's a message for, for ourselves and our team, for the site leaders, for the participants, but for all of us. Go forward with this. Uh, a, a vision of healing, a power from the word of God and the sacraments of the church and the wisdom of psychological research that Teresa and others have done. Go forward with this because this is God's own heart permeating our society and healing all those wounds. Janet? Yeah, I just want to remind everyone that we have a lot of resources uh, at our online store at ProLifeProducts.org where you can obtain Teresa's book, Forbidden Grief. There's also a book there written by both Teresa, Kevin, and Father Pavone called Rivers of Blood, Oceans of Mercy. Excellent book. You can also order a supply of Rachel's Vineyard brochures. Now, in that brochure, it gives uh, someone who picked it up maybe in their church uh, literature rack at the back of church. It talks about some of these feelings and symptoms you might be feeling and then invites them to come on a retreat. So, you know, brothers and sisters, you're watching right now. You could be ambassadors for the healing. So, Go to our online store, ProLifeProducts.org, and maybe order some Rachel's Vineyard brochures and spread them out there. And finally, maybe approach your pastor and say, you know, what about putting a simple phrase in the parish bulletin that mm. says, hurting from an abortion, there's hope and healing. Go to abortionforgiveness.com because everyone can take part in this message of healing during abortion Recovery Awareness Month. So thank you for joining us on our Just As Janet Expanded special. And I want to remind everyone that these programs will then be repeated like tonight. You will get to see at 9 p.m. on endabortion.tv the program we had last Monday live. So you get a second shot at it. So some people might say, I missed part of the program today, Janet. Next Monday night at 9 p.m., we will repeat today's program. So we're giving people more opportunity to tune in because we want a lot of people to come to healing and see the joy in the Lord that they will find 
when they've been healed from an abortion. So, Teresa, Kevin, may God continue to bless you in this wonderful work. And, Father, could you close us with a brief prayer for everyone? All right. Thank you, Lord, for your cross and resurrection. You have saved us from the kingdom of darkness. Pour out your healing on the world, your gift of repentance. And may the evil, wicked abortion stop. And may all of us rejoice in a culture of life. We pray to you who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us and God bless. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.